0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show today is a special where it's just the three amigos. The three of us uh, who started it all uh, are going to chat about hiring product managers and uh, managing prod- product managers. It's going to be an exchange of ideas as we have a resident expert, Sumea, And we have an audience who I'd encourage everybody uh, to get that hand raised and hop up on stage at any point that you want to share your question or share your, your thoughts if you are a product manager. So, Red, why don't we activate that hand raising? Everybody's welcome to join us at any point. And a reminder that this is recorded, this conversation is recorded and put out on a podcast called How to Succeed in Product Management, a podcast available on every major podcasting app. So, Sumeya, we usually like to give... uh, everybody an understanding of why this topic is important. And you gave a little bit of uh, explanation before we hit record for the podcast. But if you could just quickly summarize, why is it important for both current and aspiring product managers to have a sense of what happens once it's time to hire, train, and delegate to other product managers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that's important for people looking to apply for jobs, something that's important for new managers of product managers who have to build their teams and hire the talent they need. And I think it's important for anyone who constantly wants to improve their culture, keep it healthy, create high-performing teams. So uh, it's a never-ending quest (laughs) of excellence, and I think it benefits starting project managers too, to be part of this conversation, if you will, you know, to, to think, to see how the sausage is made. I I mean, of course, this is, this is, this conversation is full of narrative and and based on our individual experiences, but hopefully it's going to let people in and remove that mystery maybe that surrounds some of these hiring processes.
0: All right. And speaking of these mysteries and Red, we're going to include you in this conversation because I know you've kind of seen your company grow. And although they're not necessarily uh, product managers that you've been directly hiring, I think there's some practices across all hiring that we could help product managers do better based off of your experience as well. But Sumeya, what are some myths? Let's bust some myths for people as it relates to how hiring should be done or is done. What are some misconceptions that we could correct for the record here today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to start with the biggest one, which is that all hiring processes are similar to how Google or Facebook does them? They're not. You know, uh, there are books actually written about how uh, Google hires PMs, and there are websites and websites that have practice questions for people to to practice with. For example, I think the ninety percent of the the remaining product management jobs in the industry, uh, especially in the software world, does not really look like that like the googles the actually it's not facebook anymore it's metaverse right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so yeah so it's not it's not necessarily uh, the same so that's the first misconception the second misconception is that the the hiring manager is always the the person with the ultimate decision in most companies that's not true everyone you get to meet has a say a lot of times the hiring manager has just as much say as everyone else you end up meeting with. That's not necessarily true, however, in smaller companies. In a lot of smaller companies, you'll notice that the hiring manager has a lot of say, or the majority of say, especially in startups, for example. And Sumaya, sorry,
0: if I could uh, pin you on this one or or stop there for a moment. And then also, Red, maybe you could chime in. But I'm curious, is involved and where's the power? So as you're a job seeker, how much is in the hands of recruiters? How much is in the hands of the manager who you would work for? How much is in the hands of outside of that? And then that kind of helps both those applying for jobs understand like who is it that they have to impress the most, and also those who are hiring, they could kind of better understand, or if they're hiring for the first time, better understanding what kind of role they should have and what kind of role they should lean on others on, in the organization to do. So I don't know, Red, do you have any wisdom into who has the control and at what levels between the recruiters, hiring manager, and the rest of the team? Or should we have Samaya answer that?
2: I would start with Samaya because I think the question changes when you're talking about a company's size. I can weigh in for companies that are less than 50 or 100 people, but I think ultimately the answer to that question changes as the department and the size and the influence of HR and, uh, and hiring practices changes as well. You know, I've noted with larger companies, I think in our past meeting, when it comes to like hiring product managers, a lot of it is not the who you would think is the hiring manager. A lot of it is, is as a headcount that is assigned by a non-product leader, which is interesting enough. It could be the head of engineering, or it could be a chief product officer, which would be more likely, but that's not typical to larger company that I've seen. Simea, what What are your thoughts on this one, again, in terms of the dichotomy or difference between small and large companies?
1: You you hit on it, Red. I, I think it's very hard to have a like a truism for this. It, it, it's highly dependent on so many factors. Recruiters in general are the gatekeepers. And so if you don't have, let's say, as part of your network, someone who's referring you or someone who's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you would be a great fit for this role or someone that you can go directly to and say, hey, I'm interested in this role. That really, your only path is through a system that includes re- recruiters in it, whether it's like an application on a website or an email you send or uh, a recruiter who reaches out to you. And so I think in general, there is, a, there is this element of a recruiter being involved regardless of the size of the company in general. Well, I mean, if it's small, usually the hiring manager is doing a lot of outbound hiring and reaching out to people directly. But yeah, that's that's my take on it.
0: And then I want to kind of dive deeper into this a little bit. One of the things that's a value that's important to the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington is both diversity, inclusion, and empowering, and inspiring. And this process where you know the recruiters are the gatekeeper, it lends itself to a risk of bias on top of bias on on top of bias, you know, looking for certain schools where certain schools uh, where certain people didn't necessarily have access to those schools, looking for certain experiences where uh, you might not have had access to that experience. So let's talk about what could be a paint a picture of how we as how product managers or hiring managers could help people's talents and abilities shine through and not just get filtered out on a system that's biased layered on top of bias.
1: That's a really good question. Jeff, I just want to say anecdotally that as as products managers also progress in their careers and executive roles start coming their way, you will notice that maybe 90% of the recruiters who reach out to you are white male. And that's just the landscape of what it looks like for executive recruiting. And so if you have that starting at the top, Regardless of what the company aspires to in terms of you know diversity and inclusion, you already have a systematic thing in in, in the process that's not lending itself to creating the, as much of an inclusive or diverse team as you need it to be or you want it to be.
2: I'm sorry, I'm just like praising praising the community right now. This is spot on Sumeya. spot on unfortunately. <laughs>
1: I know. And so I think it, it it puts it on us, really, on us, the hiring managers, to continue pushing and to continue asking and to continue reaching out to diverse talent. So don't only re- rely on inbound applications. This is where the, the practices of startups around reaching out to, to talent and trying to get them interested in them can can also work very well in a large company. And so I think there is a lot of work to do here.
0: And so for those just joining us, we'd love your thoughts on... We're talking about hiring product managers, and the question we're now discussing is, you know, how do we break the mold in a way that still finds the people who are best equipped to do the job, but that uh, includes people who individually or systemically might have been biased against in the past, whether it's bias through the education, the bias in the experiences they've had, bias in who's, you know, there's what's called an affinity bias, where people tend to reach out to others who are similar to them. So h- how do we correct for this in the hiring process? We'd love it if you have best practices or things that you've seen that help really find out who could do the job and really help the best talent shine through and, and diverse talent shine through. But Red, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on things you've seen that could work or any ways that we help open up access to opportunity to people who are, are well-deserving of it.
2: Yeah, this is a tricky one. I got an email earlier today for the Seattle community about hiring and specifically it was related to engineers and product. And the the challenge that I heard was it was very difficult to actually find a place to either tap into talent in an aggregate way or to promote for talent in an aggregate way, which again, leans into this idea of having a full-time internal recruiter or incentivized product managers, hiring managers for finding that talent. Because if you put a job posting I'm talking to both sides of the market on, let's say, a GeekWire or uh, you put a job posting on uh, a local Seattle Reddit group. Assuming these are going to be enough is is really discredit to your business and also to the types of people that hang out on those channels. If you want to be completely inclusive, part of the fight for inclusion is to do the work. And there is there is manual work involved in finding those pockets where, unfortunately aren't being advertised to due to the income stream or the 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 source of what uh, services those larger aggregate companies. So my first piece of advice, if you're trying to find great talent and be diverse, it's, it's a hunt, it's not a post. And if you're on the trying to find a PM job, it's who you know, not where you know to post your resume, which, I mean, Jeff, just to speak from love, we this month hired two product managers that were customers, you know? <laughs> you never know where you're going to find them. So just remain open and keep on looking, but don't rely on the traditional channels, especially if you're trying to find great talent.
0: Awesome, I think that's that's great advice. And then I just wanna push back in, in, on the, the hunt. I almost feel that people do have this kind of mentality of like, I need to go hunt uh, for talent. And in my mind, it, it's, from the outside, it seems like it's more about building relationships, building relationships with individuals and, and with broader communities. So, Sumea, do you have any thoughts on that? And then I want to turn to our guest that was called up on stage, Clarissa, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on nurturing those relationships. There, there's and just a little more background. Sorry to be a little scattered here, but Jordan Horton uh, from Nintendo gave great advice at the Inclusive Product Management Summit, which was an event we hosted last year. and And he said, like, Give without wanting anything in return. That was one of his advice for customers and for nurturing relationships. Of just you're not hunting for somebody to fill a role and f- to fulfill uh, what you're looking for, but you know, give without something in return. So I, that's I'm curious what your thoughts on today on how to build relationships outside your bubble and relationships that maybe you're not seeking anything, but one day down the road you could help each other uh, when you're hiring.
1: Yeah, I think in general, that's a good philosophy to just live your life with it, (laughs) but that does not make a system. You know, I'm interested in us PMs and PM leaders, you know, in our positions of influence in creating systematic things that allow us to, you know, we assume that we're not going to be in the same job for the next 10 years, but what kind of change can we make systematically that allows us even after we leave to still hire the best, most inclusive, most uh, diverse talent, but but that's just a very specific t- thought to what you just said. I, I wanted to, uh, I invited Clarissa over, and I see uh, Michelle is also here because if we're talking about inclusion and diversity and hiring and systems, I'd love to include you uh, in in that conversation. Welcome, and happy New Year. would love to hear your thoughts.
3: Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Tommy, so it's so good to see you and Red and Jeff, it's nice to meet you and I'm so so excited that you're opening up the discussion and I'm so glad that Michelle is here. I mean, she's really our resident expert and 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 probably our nation's thought leader in this area. But I just wanted to just address a few things from the bias standpoint. I'm a behavioral scientist and I I, I often work with a lot of companies to address like a, a lot of different gaps and we use research designed to address some of the gaps in design interventions to to address those gaps. But, you know, I can't remember if it was Jeff or Red that was talking about, you know, because we have this absence of an aggregate, right, and the the rough cuts that, that are used, like education, like school, like, uh, you know, alliance, I almost always take issue with those because just the superficial level of looking at where they got education doesn't mean that that's necessarily the best approach, gaining the talent you'd like, owning the type of diversity that you would really, that the company would really excel in having, right? And I know that it is a very difficult and it's a multi-pronged challenge, right? So when we, when we look at a lot of these gaps in a lot of these areas, because there's this absence of aggregate, right? And the only things that I think can assist in addressing the absence of an aggregate database an aggregate system that can easily identify the type of talent that is diverse, that you can select based on the criterion that you have, a very comprehensive aggregate data model, right? So yes, you have to be creative. It's like Soumeya said, you have to build relationships and, and it's not just, okay, you're building relationship with different associations, right? Or different alumni groups or different areas, you know? It has to also include in-house. It has to include third-party vendors. It has to include, like, you know, because of this huge gap of the absence of this aggregate, we have to almost create, you know, something that is kind of like, An anomaly on top of an anomaly because we continue to hear the same things. Well, we can't identify the talent We can't get to the talent. We can't do this However, right all the relationship building that occurs, especially if you look at just clubhouse right when you look at just clubhouse And you were able to form a network. I think one of the biggest things that that we're not doing is really capitalizing on those relationships, really, really utilizing and establishing that collaboration or establishing partnerships with those entities that we find that have actual expertise. So, so that's the only criticism that I have. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm glad that Michelle is here because she's the actual expert. I'm, I'm just, you know, the behavioral scientist. <laughs> <And> so,
1: always, <laughs> always happy to hear your insights, Clarissa.
0: Thank you so much. How do companies and product managers develop an inclusive process by which they could find the best talent and not just the best talent that looks like them or that's within their network or immediate network or this, I guess, second degree network even, you know, because this whole like referral process is, is fraught with bias. The looking at education and looking at it, experience is fraught with bias. And so what could a product manager in the audience do to help their organization or at least their team get the best talent in a, in a more inclusive process?
1: Well, Michelle, that's yours.
4: Okay, I'm a welcome. jump Thank you, Samia. And so what I do exactly is I connect Black, Latinx, and Indigenous women who are experienced scientists, engineers, and technology professionals to management roles. Last night for my community, we held a webinar on what is product management in tech. So for those of us that graduated in the 99-2000, <laughs> product management in tech wasn't a thing. If you were talking product, you were talking about uh, cereal, or you were talking about a sofa, or you were talking about Uninterruptible power supply, something tangible, something physical. And what happens, I believe in what Jeff says, which is it is about building partnerships and relationships with organizations such as mine, such as SHIP, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, such as National Society of Black Engineers. And I re- remember specifically back in 2018, I was at a conference for National, Association, National Society of Blacks in Computing, and I remember this because, Jeff, you're at the University of Washington. The guy at the booth next to me was from the University of Washington. And when you're talking about building partnerships, it's not about a booth, but you can have a booth at these events, but you're sponsoring talks, and you can have events with organizations where you're coming in and you're talking about product management and what it is for people that may not be in tech, but they have the skill set and the knowledge and the know-how to become product managers. And so sometimes you're looking for people that may be on the business side, other people that may have been have an engineering degree or background, but they may have interfaced with customers. And so it's really important to understand what skill set you're looking for and which organizations may have that. And, and we do diversity recruitment. And the one thing I always tell, or I can always tell, or when I'm in um, recruiting communities, somebody like, Where do we find women engineers? I'm like, Well, damn, you can Google that and Society of Women <laughs> Engineers will pop up. And so oftentimes you can Google some of these things and really look at what is local to your area. But if you're looking to build partnerships and speaking to somebody in that organization around programming and partnerships and sponsorships to see what help do they need? Do they need help with teaching certain things to their to their community? And it could be like how do you read a financial report, which is important if you go into an executive or a management role. And so you want to offer expertise within your organization to that other entity to help their community learn and grow and what that does in turn it builds your brand awareness within that organization as well as your goodwill so when you come back even if people have turned over in your organization members know in that community are familiar with that company and their brand and they're familiar with the things you do especially if you're not a ge <laughs> if you're not an ibm where those brands are are very well known. And they traditionally are at the Society of Women Engineers Conference. They're at the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers Conference. They're at the National Society of Black Engineers Conference. We know who the big brands are. When you're a smaller brand, it is very, very important to reach out locally to these organizations. And now it's even better because you can do it virtually. And so you're not spending as much money traveling. We still miss the pizza, the free meals, (laughs) but it still gives your your organization's opportunity to build those partnerships by offering your expertise within those organizations. And I'll stop there. So, man, turn it back over to you.
0: Thank you, Michelle. That That's really valuable. I think uh, a takeaway that to synthesize what what I heard is you can't just show up and post a job post. It's about really showing up regularly, consistently, and investing time and resources to help uh, reach these more inclusive future that we'd like to see. We have uh, Jedediah, who had promised us he would join at 430 and he is is here we've pivoted the conversation a little bit from what Jedediah was promised but hopefully he could adapt I want to give you space real quick to to tell us a little bit about your journey into product management and then I'll put you on the spot with a question but first just tell us a little bit about yourself Jedediah.
5: So yeah I went to UW computer science and then worked as a computer science engineer at Philips writing software for ultrasound systems that for about five and a half years Uh, Kind of got to the point where I was enjoying engineering world and writing code and all that fun stuff, but there was this kind of nagging feeling inside of me to understand like, how does this make an impact? Like, I want to, I want to see impact. I want to see like how you know this this code that I'm writing is actually making an impact. And so I went on this quest, took a three month journey, I met people at Philips, started asking them a whole bunch of questions about how they're measuring business impact. And I got really excited about the whole business side of Philips, but kind of felt like, you know, for me to make the leap from engineering to move on to, you know, having a more tangible impact on the roadmap and and kind of defining features and defining things, I, I had like a whole bunch of gaps. So of course I enrolled to Foster School of Business to get my MBA, but I kind of took a, a non traditional path. I went into a nonprofit world for five and a half years, uh, really looking at how can I close those gaps in what was missing in my career, right? So, looking number one at can I roadmap stuff? Can I own PLs? Can I own defining requirements? Can I own like end to end from concept to launch something? And so, a couple of things I just want to highlight. I Worked at a nonprofit in Bottle. We built a, a coffee shop, a commercial coffee shop. And so, from concept to launch, about eighteen months of building a physical coffee shop. So, I learned a lot in that journey. And then the second one was built a community center for kids and teens. Again, at the nonprofit, raising money. You know, building construction physically and running that end to end. So, a lot of working with stakeholders, building partnerships. A lot, lot of product skills that I learned while. In the evenings, I was going to get my evening MBA. All that kind of collided with me in one of my strategy classes, writing a paper on consumer payments and Stripe as a disruption of the industry. And anyway, all that led me to what I'm doing right now, working at Amazon as a product manager in the consumer payments, uh, specifically gift cards organization. So yeah, I hope that uh, answered the question, Jeff. Thanks for the opportunity. And yeah, we'll see what kind of questions I I get hit with here.
0: Perfect. Uh, Thank you for being here. And so I want to ask everybody here on stage, uh, we're going to do bite-sized wisdom, all right? And so I want one high-level bullet point takeaway, maybe a little expanding upon uh, the rationale behind why you're giving this advice, but I just want everybody to come away with five do's or don'ts if they're a product manager that's uh, fortunate enough to get to hire another product manager to join their team. So Sumeya, you're always good on the fly. And then Clarissa and Michelle, I hope you'll you'll join us in giving one advice. And then Jedediah, you recently became a product manager and I'm hoping that you could build upon your experience um, as you were getting recruited or as you were working on making the transition, some things that uh, worked or didn't work for you as a candidate that you would advise that other people either do or don't do. So Red, you're going to go second. Uh, I'll give our guests the longest time to to think of their one bullet point takeaway. But Sumeya, a do or a don't for a product manager who is hiring another product manager?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Let's see. I think you know the the one piece of advice I would say to a hiring manager looking to hire other product managers is to not boil down a rejection to culture fit. This is something that has been used for a very long time to keep people out of companies and uh, to not be as inclusive as people can be. And so I am saying this intentionally this way to allow people to take a step back and think about really what matters when it comes to hiring. What must you have in your candidate and what can you teach them or what can you mentor them And how can you be as inclusive as possible within this hiring process that you're embarking on?
0: I love it. Red, I know you don't hire product managers, but you love product managers at Abtemptive. You help product managers. And you're also just a generally brilliant, enthusiastic person in a, a growing company. So any one takeaway you have for somebody as they're hiring, do or don't?
2: Yeah, uh, this is probably limited to anyone who works in the B2B space, but if you can hire someone you work with or have experience working with that externally and then bringing them internally, that helps save you a lot of steps in terms of determining whether or not they're a fit for your company. So this is a kind of a cheat code, uh, but not everyone can use it if they don't have the right uh, setup, but that would be my, my cheat code. Again, I'm biased because I work with PMs, but I'm known for hiring them. So if you, Jeff, I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but
0: that works. Uh, That would be
2: mine. <laughs> awesome.
0: Thanks for the explanation and the takeaway. Clarissa, any one takeaway that you'd want to leave? Uh, not a takeaway, but a bite-sized do or don't for people hiring product managers.
3: Yes. Thanks so much, Jeff. And thank you so much for, for bringing me up. Yeah. The one thing that I would strongly encourage is definitely being a lot more creative in the approach in the recruitment and retention and You know, by that, I mean, look at external partnerships, right, with either groups that are currently working to address and create solutions, academics that are working in the space, thought leaders that are working in the space, you know, consultants that are working in the space. I wouldn't always just rely on you know, the strategies that have been used or just plain recruiters because those databases are also have an absence of aggregates. So I think the best solution that, that I have seen so far is partnering with different entities to try to
0: get the type of talent that you're really looking for. Thank you, Clarissa. Michelle, do you mind hopping in with one do or don't for somebody hiring a product manager?
4: One do is be clear on what is necessary for the job. One don't is decide to deviate it from what's needed from
0: the job for, for specific people. Do you mind elaborating on that last point? When we
4: look at certain roles, they'll say uh, a degree is required. But if some recruiters have really good conversations or hiring managers with candidates that have made it through, it's like, well, you didn't finish the degree, so it's really not required. And so then they decided for some people, they've already moved them out of the queue Let's say it's an internal referral that came in and didn't have a degree, but they were an internal referral and other people are rep- coming inside the organization online, let's say, or from a different event. And they are saying specifically they have to have that degree requirement. And so if you have that requirement, you need to make sure it goes across all of the applicants and not make special cases.
0: I think that's a a great takeaway. So having some consistency, because again, that could uh, create problems on on who got excluded if you weren't uh, upfront about the true requirement and you could have missed out on somebody that you should have had, or you might be biased in favor of somebody that that maybe is not the best qualified, but you've been enamored by certain other aspects of their their case. And that that kind of relates to one takeaway I want to offer is... You know, before you see people having a rubric, a very clear hiring rubric of, of what it is you're looking for and being consistent on how you look for that information so that you're not in some cases leaning on one aspect and then in other cases leaning on, on another aspect, but that you're consistent in upfront what you're looking for and consistent in, in looking for that information. Jedediah, I want to uh, have you answer this from the other side. Uh, as you were looking for your product management role without naming companies or individuals since we are recorded as a podcast, but were there some actions that you really st- stuck out to you as a candidate that you appreciated or that stung you a little bit that you would recommend hiring managers not? I
5: like I like the question. So I'll start with the stung you part because uh, of course that'll come top of mind. Getting back to candidates, even, you know, just letting them know if it's, you know, Either way, I think it's very important to communicate that back. I uh, think from a customer point of view, right? If I'm sitting there waiting, I think I, there are so many times when I'm stuck in loops and waiting to hear back from people, and they're just taking forever. Now, given you know there were some understandably, you know maybe companies are going through some reorg or trying to figure things out. I would say just just kind of keep that communication clear, either through your recruiters or uh, the hiring managers themselves. So that's one. On the do side something that I would recommend is informational calls right this is something that worked for me just grab through rather than just waiting on referrals I think I had uh informational calls with prospective you know hiring managers and it was kind of like a like a speed dating thing right it's like 30 minutes for you to get to know me me to get to know you without getting too deep into the woods even just seeing tangible examples of hey I did x in this context, and this is how I can, you know, showcase some of my product skills, right? For me, right, I built a coffee shop. And so taking that as an example and trying to, you know, lay it down to somebody over an informational call was really helpful. So that would be something that I would recommend if you do have bandwidth, if you're hiring Manager looking for some PMs. I will say this you know at least in the last three hires, at least in my company, recently in my org, all have had informational calls, which again have helped. You know give you a chance to talk to the hiring manager and see and showcase some of your PM skills that might get hidden in a resume sometimes.
0: All right. So we've got a sting, a don't of just ghost people. They worked hard to apply to your job, so ghosting them might not be good. And then on the positive, these informational interviews or a chance to to see what lives beyond the resume, give just a quick chance to get to know somebody as appreciated from the candidate side. And so Sumeya, I'm curious if you have any frameworks or you're always good for a framework or a resource that if people want to dive deeper into this, what would you recommend they they consider?
1: You know, when it comes to hiring, again, because every company is different, what they have done over time, one thing has been true is I understand the skills that are at a minimum required for the job. So that usually makes up, you know, 70% of what is required for the job and and that, to some degree, does not change based on the company. If I need a PM who knows how to work with customers, or if I need a PM who is an expert in a very specific financial services area, or I need a PM that is more technical because they have to work with a lot of APIs, those are all things I would have to figure out regardless of the company I'm at. But then there is this 30% of the job that's very specific to the company. And by that, I mean, what does a career path within the company look like? How big is the company? What kind of support will this employee expect to get? Those are all things that are not necessarily the same, one company to the next. And so I need to understand what am I going to be able to offer this employee and what is my expectation of them? As it relates to the context of the company, and then last but not least, one of the the things I think about a lot, especially since I worked with startups before, is you know this concept of wartime CEO versus peacetime CEO, and, and that's something that uh, the the book, the hard thing about hard things, by Ben Horowitz, he talks about that a lot, and I liken the the thinking there to also what a manager. It has to think about depending on the kind of market you're in, the situation you're in, is your company going through growth or through, you know, retrenchment and doesn't have as much growth because of many other factors that are external to you. Anyway, there are all these other things that go on beyond your control that you have to think about. And so how does that impact the job and impact the kind of skills you want and you know how we, you know how we talk about, for example, product sense, product sense in itself, yes, is a muscle that you develop, but also people's desire for the kind of work they want to work on is a muscle that people develop. And so those are all things you ask yourself as a hiring manager, and you try to narrow down the list as much into particulars rather than just these large concepts of you know culture fit or product sense or ephemeral things that don't correspond to a specific set of skills in general I don't have a specific framework I just think about these three areas one the skills I need to the company that I am in and then three the kind of not culture the kind the kind of circumstances we're, we're living in that require certain skills
0: all right we could always count on sumea. And I want, if anybody has a question uh, for our experts here, we have Sumea, Clarissa, Michelle, and Jedediah, each with uh, different experiences and expertise, but all here to help you uh, answer the question of what you could do better or how you could effectively hire product managers. Did Clarissa, Michelle, or Jedediah, did any one of you want to chime in with a framework or resource recommendation for those who are looking to do better at uh, hiring the best talent and having an inclusive process to do so?
4: Sure, I I can go first, Jeff. Start with your job description being inclusive and and studying what you can change or improve about it in order for it to appeal to more people or even having multiple job descriptions that appeal to to different types of people for the same role. Number two, Jeff brought this up, having a diverse panel, interview panel is important as well. And so I, I think we've talked about how to source Uh, enough. Like where do you go to find talent and build those relationships? But when you go through the interview process, standardizing it and making sure you're asking the same set of questions to every candidate and that you have a minimum of two people in a room, one person to ask the questions, the other person to record the responses. And the recorder is making sure the person asked the question stays on task. And that way it's like, oh, you're about to ask her about how many kids she has we haven't asked anybody about their kids. And so really making sure you have that, those things down to kind of eliminate as much bias as possible in the process. And so I'll stop there. So not just taking the same job description and posting it where you can reach different types of candidates, but really understanding that different people respond differently to different types of job posting. And And I'll add one other thing. When you're thinking about who do you want or how do you want to diversify your talent pipeline? You do not want to do quotas. Actually, it's illegal to do quotas. You want to diversify your talent pipeline. And what I mean by that, look at your analytics in your organization. Where do you see the most need? Is it in succession planning? Is it entry level? Is that mid-management? And really understanding where your gaps are in your organization so that you know where to focus or, or spend more time in diversifying that talent pool oftentimes, oh, we need to go entry level. And you probably for many organizations need to start higher than that. And then you work your way down. But it really does. It's really important to look at your people analytics to understand what's going on by gender, race and other marginalized people before you decide who you want to target. And you can see some of the gaps just in that aspect. And so I'll stop there and turn it back over to you, Jeff.
0: So I want to I heard this expression, double-click. I want to double-click on something you said, Michelle, and either you could follow up on it or uh, Clarissa, if you have opinions on this as well. So we have this standardized process and you're saying, you know, I have two people in the in the room and kind of stay on, on task. The reasoning is pretty clear, right? If If we start talking about oh, baseball, and then we, you know, and I just open it up to, to random stuff, and then it gets to what Sumeo is saying, which is this kind of cultural fit. Anyway, there seems to be bias if we let the conversation unfold completely naturally. But how do you do this in a structured way that still lets you make an emotional connection on a human level with the person you're interviewing? I I don't know if I'm making sense in this question, but I I feel like there's this trade-off between being structured, which then could be seen as robotic and hard to really hit uh, a a human connection, but perhaps maybe that human connection could actually distract us from what the person can do and and what they could bring to our our organization. So how do we balance that trade-off between structure and flexibility and, and human connection and what's more important to think about as we're balancing that? Michelle or Carissa, is that... Framed enough for you to give us some insight there for
4: So, and Clarissa, you you can join in. Culturally, I'm coming in to do a job. You may want to connect with me on a personal level. I don't feel safe with you, and you may not have provided a reason for me to share something personal because I'm not psychologically safe to respond. And so while you may think that is of value and of importance, for many marginalized people, they don't feel safe in sharing personal information. And so I can understand where your point of view is, but for us, too often when we share personal things, it is then used as a weapon against us. And so at that point, you may want to evaluate the bet a candidate on how you connect with them. And what I'm saying is culturally for us, we're not we're probably not going to do it. And so you may hold it against us and then again not understanding cultures of people then works as the system sets it up to work. I didn't feel as though they were a good fit, but I didn't have a connection with them. But could they do the job? They You aren't hiring them to necessarily connect with you on an individual level, but maybe on a human level. They're not going to come in and attack you, but they are going to do a really good job. And so I'll turn over to Clarissa because she's a behavioral scientist and she does this all the time.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff and Michelle. was a really poignant question, Jeff. Um, so there's a few things that we have to look at where just going through the early stages of engaging employees, right? So at the interview process, you know, I think Someya said it best, once you try to force fit into the culture fit is one of the biggest deficits that, that we try to do, right? So one of the ways to reduce some of that is, right, universalizing the outcomes of the methodology in the interview, right? Because yes, we have a lot of bias, even sometimes in the questions that are asked during the interview, there is this psychological unsafety that is occurring, but even occurring for gender, right? So there's that element. And then there's the element of cultural difference, right? So one of the ways that that we could possibly broaden out the way that we capture on maybe on open-ended sections of interviews, right? If you have a universalized set of outcomes that you're seeking out in that interview, rather than focus on, all right, some arbitrary rating status or some some level of weight along the different areas of, of where that person fell within the response range, right? So if we drop some of that systematic way of doing the interview and systematic way of rating Right. And looking more at, all right, let's account for all of the elements that produces bias in the interview and remove some of that bias by universalizing out the outcome and not focusing on the actual rating or scoring of the response rates. So it's a different approach, but it helps reduce a lot of the bias.
0: All right. Thank you, Clarissa and Michelle. Uh, Jedediah, I've got a question for you in a moment, but we're going to lose Sumeya. She's been kindly sticking around while uh, you could tell her voice is a little scratchier than normal. So we're hoping she's doing well. But Sumeya, do you want to, before I turn to Clarissa, Michelle, and Jedediah with a few more questions, give us any concluding thoughts from your side that, that you hope the audience takes away from this conversation?
1: Yeah, I think I want to end it with the way we started the conversation, which is even though I, I've been part of hiring processes, either as the manager hiring or one of the interviewees or someone who set the hiring strategy for the organization, I feel that I'm constantly learning. And so hiring great product managers is something that you can think is you know, part instinct, part science, part process. But I, I would say that even the ins- instinct is something that's, you know, based on you doing something well and doing it and finding patterns. But then that also is how you you let yourself become complacent and allow for non-diverse hiring, for example. And so I, I, I say all of this because I feel that's one area where I'm constantly learning, constantly staying on my toes, constantly looking to improve. And I believe that that's one part of my career where I'm going to continue feeling that way. And that's good. You know, it's uncomfortable, but it's good too.
0: All right, Samaya, get well. Thank you for joining us today, Jedediah. We had started that we were going to talk about when I first pulled you onto this show. We were going to talk about transitioning from engineering into product management. I guess at the top of the hour didn't show, so we took a different turn here. Grateful for you uh, being agile and stepping in. But I would love for you to—I know you've shared some inspiring posts on LinkedIn. I'd love for you to share a little bit uh, that for those of, who are listening and. And not getting hired yet into product management, wondering if they'll ever get their turn. Anything that you wanted to share with the audience on that dimension?
5: Hey, yeah, Jeff. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's uh, for me, right, from engineering to product, five and a half years. So, in the in the middle of that, I was adding skills that prepared me for what I'm doing today. So, you know, be mindful of kind of that in-between engineering to product side, like what you do really matters and, and make sure you pick something. For me, I picked nonprofit, right? You would not go that route probably traditionally, but I said, you know what? I think I can get those skills that I need and I could, I could just go into a nonprofit and try to do that. Now, nonprofits, a whole nother ball game. I'll just give a quick scent on it. It's like, you know, you're, you're raising funds. You don't really have, you have a lot of ambiguity. You have... Uh, a lot of lot of protocol not a lot of processes established traditionally and so for me i was like hey if i can do it here if i can you know do it on this timeline and this budget i probably could earn that skill so i think what you do post engineering to think okay i want to start moving into product and if you're having those thoughts start asking good product managers around you either on linkedin or in your network You know, what did they do on a daily basis, uh, map those skills down and then see, hey, where do I go find those skills? Second thing is on the journey. And, you know, from when I started, like literally cleaning up my resume, applying to, you know, landing an offer took about 18 months. So it was a whole nother journey. In itself, but two things that I tell people: number one is the process is necessary. You know, it's like for me, I look back at it; it taught me a lot. It made my skills more sharper, even interviewing skills. Like when I first started interviewing for product roles, you know, some of my uh, responses and how I approach the conversation, the STAR format, and whatever people look at for ways in which you're prepping, you know, you'll get you just you just you just keep getting better, and so use that process for your advantage in learning. I was a little bit more meticulous writing back to recruiters and to hiring managers saying, Hey, you know, give me feedback. What what do you see in me? How can I do better? You know, what's missing? Is it a lack of competence? Is it a lack of communication? So I would ask for like a lot of feedback. And then the last thing is have a buddy in the process. This is very uh, simple that I did, but I had a friend who who was a PM and I would just kind of call her every Friday and be like, Hey, I just had like, you know, two interviews this week. I, or, you know, sometimes I'd be like, I I didn't get any calls. It's been really tough, you know, and just, just somebody to have a little bit more of emotional support, I would say in the process is significant because the, the journey and what you're experiencing in that long wait, uh, if it's being long for you is, you know, that feeling of, am I the only one who's going through this? You know, it looks like all my friends are getting hired. Like every, every other day you see somebody else getting hired. So that's something that I think is really helpful is just somebody that you can reach out to, uh, who you can be open and, and just say, Hey, you know, I got this, tough feedback? Or, you know, can you help me take away the emotion out of that and just be very direct and say, what do I need to improve, you know, in, in my approach for the role? So I hope that answers the question, Jeff. I know if it was a little long, but let me know if you have any uh, specifics you want to dive in on.
0: All right. Thank you, Jedediah. So we've had this conversation from both angles of hiring product managers. Uh, from Jedediah, we're hearing about the grit, determination, and uh, building that community around you as you try to get hired as a product manager. And Clarissa and Michelle joined us serendipitously today and shared some excellent insight into what if you are hiring, if you're the hiring manager or involved in the hiring process for hiring product managers, what you could do to have a more effective uh, and inclusive process. We are at the end of this hour here. So I want to give Clarissa and Michelle, I don't know, you came up here and just shared insights from the heart and from your years of experience. Are you comfortable giving concluding thoughts, uh, just a bite-sized Message you want to leave the audience with before we sign off. Uh, Clarissa, I'll give you an opportunity first if you had anything you wanted to conclude with.
3: Thank you so much, Jeff. I think just going to reiterate what I said prior is that I think for us to really, really start focusing on creating a, a culture of inclusivity in companies, you know, it really requires a much more creative approach than what's been used prior. And I think that a more optimal solution is to form partnerships across many different areas and, and, you know, just to strengthen that element of true inclusion in the culture of the company. So thank you so much for having me join. And I'm totally honored that I was here for this Fantastic discussion. Thank you.
0: And we are honored that you were able to join us. Thank you so much, Clarissa, for joining us and for that uh, takeaway at the end here. Michelle, anything that you want the audience to take away? Concluding thoughts.
3: Thanks,
4: Jeff. Great to be in here and dropping in tonight. I would say where Clarissa started is where you really want to start. And diversity recruitment is really last, one of four pillars I think that there should be after you go through transition in your organization is diversity recruitment. You want to focus on retention and then diversity recruitment. And that then, because you've already built the other pillars to retain that talent, to fill those adi- those new roles or as your organization grows, then bring in diversity recruitment because it won't work, it won't last, and it'll be an investment as opposed to a cost if your organization isn't ready yet.
0: Awesome. Thank you, uh, Michelle. Thank you, Clarissa and Jedediah. Any concluding thoughts you want to leave the listener with today? Uh, I
5: think it was good to be a part of it. My, I'll, I'll circle back on my two cents of your network matters a lot. Make sure you have people in your network who you can rely on and chat with. I think it's a it's a fantastic journey. You know, don't do it alone. Have people who you can talk to.
0: All right, and then red. You've gone past time here. So grateful that you did. You always have uh, great insights. We didn't get to do open Q&A, but I'd love for you to share some concluding thoughts.
2: I, I would be a little bit biased in saying this, but I think that if you're someone who's not really sure how to embody everything we've talked about today, the reason I'm saying I'm biased is I think you should be reaching out to us to the community, to, you know, University of Washington, we created the Product Management Center specifically to help people navigate what is a very difficult thing to do at a lot of companies, unfortunately, which is to open up these channels and to make it uh, more inclusive. So if you're someone who's struggling with this, whether it is finding a job or finding the right candidates to, to expand your company's mindset and how you approach this, please uh, reach out. I mean, I know Clarissa, Michelle, Jedediah, we're all available. We're on LinkedIn. We're, we're in the Slack group. Please do not hesitate whatsoever and, and ask us for help. That is why we are here.
0: All right. Thank you, Red. And at the risk of sounding self-serving, I want to uh, piggyback on what Clarissa and Michelle ha- had said, which is showing up and it's important to show up. And Marty Burris, along with some amazing product leaders, Felix Watson Jr., Diego Granados, Rovinia Valachia, and Markel Baldwin, they created a program, a fee-free program. So it's a a free program here at the University of Washington with a goal to empower 100 professionals from historically marginalized communities to get their first product management role by June 2022. So the five of them have designed a program. We have 48 brilliant product managers, future product managers in the, the winter cohort. And if you want to show up, we definitely need people to uh, do mock interviews, to volunteer for career strategy sessions, to pass along uh, whatever product management knowledge that you have and connect with individuals who are just fantastic. They're going to be great additions to a lot of different companies. And again, if you want to just be a part of their journey, please uh, join us. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, we've got a volunteer intake form, a lot of different ways that you could help empower the next generation of product managers. And we'd love to have you uh, show up and support the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. On that note, I also just have to acknowledge that we started this at the University of Washington. It was Marty Burris's brainchild. We made it a reality. And we are so grateful that T-Mobile, Salesforce, Amazon, uh, and Starbucks have sponsored this and are helping us grow and expand this program so that we could create a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community enough about that. Now it's time to let Red go home. Really thankful for Jedediah agreeing to be on today's show. Super thankful for Clarissa and Michelle popping up serendipitously and offering some brilliant insights. I hope to have all three of you back uh, sometime soon on how to succeed in product management. We're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Clubhouse. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you for supporting our mission to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Have a great week, everybody.